for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Well, looky here, y'all. What if you could go back in time to avoid doing something that could keep you from getting what you want? I don't know about you, but I'd be on that like a buzzard on a gut wagon. Like ugly on an ape. Y'all, I'd be on that like Joe on a bologna sandwich. <laughs> well, y'all, we might not be able to take you back in time, but we dang sure absolutely can take you back to our actual mistakes and misconceptions that me and the boys saw or experienced this elk season for sure. Our pain, your gain. We're going to give you the bacon without the sizzle. Welcome to part three of our elk hunting mentality, mistakes, and mentor series. The goal of this series is to take our actual boots on the ground 2023 season experience and help you learn, prepare, and get on that success train for 2024. So pull up a chair, reach your hands out to the campfire, and let's get this rock a rolling. That discussion, our Elk Bros shout outs and questions from our awesome Elk Bros mailbox. So my friends, pull up a chair, adjust your volumes just right, and welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting, brought to you by ElkBros.com, with your host, Gilbert Ornelas, and Elk Hunting Coach Joe Gillian. You want to hunt elk? They live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters. Hello there, everyone. If it's your first time with us, glad to have you. Hope you enjoy the show. And as always, for those blue collar hunters following our show and grinding it out with us every week, welcome back to Elk Camp. I'm Gilbert Ornelas coming to you from Spring, Texas. I'm the host of your show. And joining me tonight's crew, we got them lined up, guys. That's right. We got the Northern Don of the Venezuelan Mafia, Mr. Manano Gratarons in the house. That's right. We got one of the baddest elk hunting coaches on our staff. No doubt. He is the man with the golden voice. He is a licensed guide in New Mexico. He's also the owner of the Western Contours <laughs> podcast and Western Fly Covers. None other than Mr. Guy Duplanches in the house tonight. What's up, boys? We got Cody <laughs> the Kid. That's right. One of our baddest elk hunting coaches out of the DFW area. Cody the Kid, Kirk Patrick's with us. We've got the ninja Kirk, tonight. Man. Coming back for round one since he missed last week mr ninja mr leroy chavez and we've got that's right we got wwjgd's in the house joe jilly has got it teed up and ready to hit it deep what's up fellas 
Did did we get Manano Ateron? Yeah, I got him. Uh, him? First and one, the northern guy. He said the northern leader. I got confused when he said leader. I, I was like, Luis is out. So Alice Fort Worth, DFW. See, that's the one thing about, about Gil, man. He's always throwing these acronyms at me. And I'm like, what the heck are you talking about, dude? He's ready to shut me down and restart everybody. I'm telling you right now. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. We didn't, what we say about Manano and what's DFW? Yeah, don't, you know? don't, don't be talking bad about Manano, bro. <laughs> no, no. I don't know. Yo, you uh, click something on my Zoom uh, feature <laughs> that I got emojis, reactions, stuff here. I'm trying Give us to a double thumbs out. up. Give us a double thumbs up, Manano. Look at this. Watch oh, it. Oh, no, no. <laughs> what the, what the heck, uh, Yeah, for, for everybody that is not viewing Man. and that's listening, um, we're using Zoom. And if you're using a Mac computer and it has the new Sonoma um, pretty sure he was OS on it, it does some crazy things with Zoom. So if you give hand gestures, there's like balloons will show up or different yeah, things. Yeah. Like he waves and balloons come up, man. Yeah. Bubbles. Yeah, it, it does not recognize the California howdy though. So it's it, <laughs> it is appropriate. <laughs> and it, it sure doesn't recognize the number one in your life, Joe. It sure doesn't. Yeah, yeah they already tested that out, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was gonna hey, turn mine on if that was going. And, yeah, well, and Chav decided to to join us to grace us with the ninja's <laughs> presence. Yeah, I, I'm like, you know, uh, this this is special. He must have had him had him away. Chav, I got your back, man. You miss one, you miss one episode, and you're gonna catch it. For, <laughs> I know. We'll be yeah. talking about that he next. He must have had a way camp. better looking date than us, bro. Oh, wait a second. Wait that a ain't second. hard to do with this group, buddy. I'm, amen, brother. Dude, wasn't wasn't it Duplante that said? Doesn't he live 200 yards down from? Well, yeah, because you were saying Chad wasn't there. I'm like, well, Chad, he can walk down. Man, I don't know yeah. if I can do it. We can't oh, take Chad to the again. park. I wasn't offended by his absence. I figured he had something better to be doing. Oh, man. Yeah. I, I see everybody like uh, Gil sending pictures of deer going down. And Manano been hunting pigs. I, all I know is they killed some big deer, hard. too, man. Yeah. Them boys in Oklahoma whacking some big old bucks, yeah. dude. It's been yeah. phenomenal. They, yeah. they they ain't let Big O get turned loose up there on the Red River yet, boy. I'll show them what really lives there. I put them <laughs> horns, I put them horns together and go to using my grunt call. It is so fun hunting there because those bucks are not hunted. You know, <clears throat> they're just not. I mean, they're they're pretty unassuming, and it's fun to hunt, man. They got some. It's and since they've had some work done there where it's alleviated some pressure, it's even better now. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And we've, uh, we've been running some hunts in our area over here. Yep. But, uh, man, I tell you what, I, I, I feel for a lot of people out of there because if it's like, it's been here, it's been like daggum springtime here. I mean, we're talking, um, here it is November and we've had over 70 degrees, I think for the last three days. Wow. I looked at Roswell. Mm -hmm. Roswell was like supposed to be close to 90 degrees yeah, it 90. was 90 in amarillo unbelievable <clears throat> we've been unseasonably warm i mean we got some weather one or two days through that that second rifle and a little weather came in today but we heat back up i think they said <clears throat> mid 60s 
We're well, you supposed know, to I drop had, a little this weekend. I had somebody that asked me about that because they were really talking about, you know, they were talking about elk and the season and how the elk were quiet and, and, and he travels a lot and says, you know, he's in Wyoming. Hey, how you did there, Jim? And, uh, he was, he's in Wyoming and he does a lot of travel. He says he's talking to people all around the state and everybody's talking to is saying, well, they went to their best honey holes and, and banana. stuff like that. And the elk weren't in the same places that oh, they find them. Look and- at Manano. Sorry, Joe. Look at Manano. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Emoji thing is Yo, just going I'm off. Trying to remove- <laughs> <laughs> he got his cool shades on, bro. Oh what my God, happened, dude. Wow. I'm sorry to interrupt, but that Look is Look at Cody's awesome. bug. Man. Yo, I don't know how to do it, bro. Oh, man. It, this, yeah, this he- is- this is like having a seventh grade class. This is like having a seventh grade class on the first time, man. <laughs> Joe's just talking. And I'm like, what the hell's going on with Manano now? <laughs> man, this is man. It's killing me. I'm going to keep my camera on and ready, Manano. <laughs> so yeah, get a good oh. shot of him, man. <laughs> so, and one thing that we were talking about with that, Jim and I, was that, you know, he was saying how. People were not finding elk this year where they found them. They said had a really, really wet, you know, spring, summer out there. And they thought that they were going to find a lot of big bulls with really great growth. And but they weren't finding them that, you know, a lot of the bulls were the smaller bulls that they were coming across. And they just weren't finding elk in the same places. And we were having that conversation. And and that's one thing that one of the things that I told him is, is this, is when you have that type of year, all right, let's go this way. When you have those dry seasons and you have limited good grass and elk are concentrated, I think you're going to see those boogers in the same places that you've seen them year after year, because they are having to concentrate there. But I really think when you have those really, really wet seasons and you get good grass spread out. Yeah. That, those big guys, man, ain't their first rodeo. And even some of those old cows, man, instead of going to those places they've been forced to eat, they can go to some of those other areas that are less pressured and go to different places. Yeah, those- and not come down at all. Yeah. They can stay up in the mountains and be by their springs, natural fred springs that are coming out of there that have been charged up all year with the big rains and whatnot. I mean, aquifers are all charged. Um and in the grass, like you said, Joe, I saw that where we were guiding this year. I mean, yep. they just didn't have no, they didn't really need to come down. They could stay nope. up there the whole time. The Absolutely. weather wasn't driving them down, less bugs, less pressure, you know, the whole time. Yeah, there was no weather to do it. They had plenty of grass. It wasn't dry. It, you know, it was, so we had, we had, you know, groups of cows and that's what you need to get the bulls that were staying up high in those areas where there was less pressure, um, they didn't have to worry about, you know, going down to areas and, and having to travel miles to get to water. They had areas around mm-hmm. that. So that's something for everybody to kind of think about is when you, especially experienced hunters that have been hunting year after year after year, and they get those places they kind of count on that they're going to be there. And then you go in and they're just not there. Well, you know, I, I really think that's what happens. They're they're finding a little bit of relief in another place because there's plenty of food, right? Definitely. Well, Joe, you got an announcement to make for all our listeners for sure, huh? Yeah, yeah. So I think I, I told everybody um, on the last one, but I want to make sure that we talk to uh, people that are in Colorado. We're going to be in Denver 
Um, Elk Bro is going to be in Denver at the International Sportsman's Expo this January 11th through the 14th. I'm real excited about that. We have so many listeners from that area. Um, like to have some of y'all come by the booth, do some calling stuff. With, bring your calls. If you don't bring some calls, you can buy some calls because we'll have them there. We'll have right. the soloist there. Um, we're, we're trying to get some of the boys to be there as Big well. Big be there. Yeah. Gil, you're going to be there, huh? Yep. I'll be there. Ah, yep. Yeah. And I That's think. It's only uh, a short drive for me, so I'm going to be there. Absolutely, Sweet. man. Very cool. And uh, so we're, we're excited about that. I'm going to do a couple of seminars there. So hope to see you guys in, Zen- in Denver. Correct? Absolutely. January 11th through the 14th. Well, let's get this party started and head over to our Elk Bros mailbox, Joe. All right. Cabez. Okay. Uh, we have a, a question from David Zaitsev from Zait- Vancouver, Washington. Uh, he's, he asked, during the early season, I use elk calls, but during the late se- season, I do not. I am a fairly new hunter, as it is my third year elk hunting, and I am not the best caller. My question is, are elk calls effective during the late season in late November, mid-December, or is calling not the best option for that time of year? Is calling a good option? If calling is a good option, what sounds, scenarios do you think would be most effective? And, of course, you can call during those times, and I'll let our experts on the panel tell you why. So, uh, Guy, it's all yours. I was going to say the the fairly new hunter thing, right? And and that if that is the reason that you're not calling, especially in that, I think, you know, Washington, I, I want to say that they start sometime late August and run through September. Um, I think that's a critical error, right? If you're not blowing those diaphragms or externals and using those calls, you're not expanding your repertoire. You're not learning in the field. You're not seeing if you're really a good caller, right? We always play to our ears and we're reluctant to do what we should be doing in the field and letting the elk tell us what kind of caller we are. Now, there's some folks that uh, sound like, uh, I can't say it on here, but my boys know what I'm talking about. Bit your finger off. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, that my my first thing on that would would be Chav. You know, he needs to be calling. Um, You know, third year elk caller or not, man, you need to be tooting them diaphragms. Um, And they're effective in the late season. I'm not very familiar with with Washington and their cycle up there. I'm I'm gonna say that you can do some some calling, but November is getting kind of late if you're thinking you know about cow calling and things like that, and you know piping off challenge bugles and whatnot. So, you know your pasture rut, um, but you know your locates and things like that are, are still gonna be affected. Right, elk are yeah elk are communicating all year long, and you just have to to expand that repertoire and understand you know what you're talking in their language. Yeah, the only problem is is man is that once you start once those big bulls split off, I mean, yeah, you can actually use cow calls to bring a herd to you. I mean, if you're looking for a small bull or if you're looking for a cow, you can use those cow calls to pull them to you. Lost calf. Um, yeah, lost calf. You can do things like that. But if, you know, I see a lot of people right now, and, and that's actually in our conversation for later on in this, that 
you know, they're looking because they find a herd of elk, they think they're going to find a big bull. And you just got to understand the elk behavior, what they're doing, what their cycle is, what they're doing per time of year. And there's a point probably, and it depends. I mean, they'll kind of hang out, but right around October 11th, those big dudes have split off and they've gone into sanctuary. And, you know, even though you're pulling in and you get with the herd, um, most of the time it's going to be smaller bulls. And I hear a lot of people that are like, man, there just ain't no big bulls here because they're seeing herds of elk and they're seeing smaller bulls with those herds. And there are big bulls, but you got to get off and you got to find them puppies in the holes where they're recovering. So uh, it, it gets a little bit later. And even now when those bulls, some of those other guys start splitting off and heading out and doing first those small groups of bachelor groups and some of the big guys are off, then it becomes actually feast or famine. And I see this for deer hunters. I've been seeing that right now for deer hunters that, you know, you've got a lot of bachelor groups of bucks. So you're not hitting bucks here and a buck there and a buck there and a buck. You can hit 10 of them together, six of them together. So it's almost feast or famine sometimes. So that's kind of how it is as well with the elk. So when you're talking about calling, um, if there was any kind of scenario that I would do at a time in October, um, you know, like we said, if there is a bull that's with them and you're just trying to get that, well, I'm going to pull the cows because all that bull's doing is following those cows. And if I was going to do anything to try to give bulls in the area the idea that there is a cow that is coming heat, I might do a little bit of a rut fest and see if they're going to come and check that out. That would be, but I got to know that I'm in the area where those boogers are. So uh, you just don't, you just don't go out and set up on the edge of a meadow and start putting on a scenario and expect elk to come into you. Right. You know, it, it doesn't Different. just, yeah. yeah. So, so November at, and December are much more effective <laughs> to be glassing up high absolutely. right, and find out where they're moving and uh, they will bunch together especially the satellite bulls they're going to be on the outskirts of some of those bigger herds of cows but for me what's been successful for me is calling the cows to me cutting the distance you know those cows might be five six eight hundred yards away but as soon as i can get the cows attention i bring the bulls in within 200 yards it's a whole lot easier shot than trying to that, make a that that was in october right bro when yeah. that was happening yeah. right yeah so and 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 later you know from mid to late October, right? So, and then I've hunted before in November where the same thing, you know, those bulls will start back branching off. Those bigger bulls will start branching off and leaving those bigger herds. And like you said, Joe, they're going to heal up and stuff like that. But you can still find some big old bulls in the first part of December that are by themselves, kind of like you said, Absolutely. in holes, right? But, but see, and the key was, holes. like you said, was by themselves, see? So- right. That that's the thing I'm trying to, you know, just because you're finding a lot of track and you're finding a lot of cows doesn't Don't mean, mean you find big bulls later on. Right. Like you got to look. It doesn't even look like it. I mean, based on what I'm looking on to the wash or the yeah the Washington regs right now. Um, I mean it's any it's antlerless only, uh, December early December to the end of December. Not a private. No. I mean, yeah, I don't yeah. know if that's the question. Yeah, we don't know whether he's yeah. on private or if he's hunting public mm -hmm. ground. But, you know, that late to mid-December, man, you can kill some big bulls if you find out where they're at because they're healing up. They're getting ready, and they are got to eat because this winter's coming. It's a real deal for them. They get their slaves to their bellies, man, and uh, they have got to go eat. So you find some good ground where, you know, 
where they have, and I, and I found out too, that a lot of times where they summer is where they'll go back and start to eat again because there was plenty of food there before. So wherever you found them summer ranging, you know, a lot of times they'll be there if the big snows haven't come and stuff like that. So just start trying to find them in those corridors where they're moving up and down uh, or around water sources and stuff like that. But, and um, and see, also, all when you're talking about feed like that, always associate feed with the size of the group. Yeah. So... You know, you're talking about single bulls. They can get in an area in a sanctuary, and they got plenty for that. They're going to have water nearby someplace, but yeah. they're going to do as little work as possible. They're just like us on a Sunday wanting to sit on the couch, watch football. Watch football. Yeah. So, you know, whereas, you know, you start now talking about these because these groups of cows start getting coming together and now getting big herds and now they've got to be in areas where they can get amount of feed and rotate through that so yeah it's it's and and i think you answered his question good man for me the the sounds that i would use would be you know depending on what my scenario was it would definitely be cow and calf sounds and then maybe a location bugle uh just to sound like there's a herd there right um but that would be about all I'd use is and lost calf. Uh, that lost calf, you can call the cows to you. Yeah, so. most November, December for me, I'm listening for them and trying to move in on them and using yeah. my call only if I need to stop something. I'm not really yeah. doing a whole lot of calling. So that's a great point too, Joe. Is we're using the cow call to stop them. Uh, I did that three times this year, you know, and stopped them all three times, and they look back like man, what was that? <laughs> you know, and they're a long ways off, but you can stop them every time. They're yep. fatal flaw. Hey man, I tell you what, Washington has some pretty good freaking seasons. If it wasn't for the other regs that hold you down, I mean, they're hunting certain hunts there, man. You're hunting through the end of January. Yeah. Wow. Now. Are yep. those Rosies or are those Rockies? They have, you both. have both. They have yeah. both. Yeah. yeah. They got both. Uh, Tony Romero <laughs> from Idaho. What's up, brother? Uh, he says, I'm a hunter here in Idaho. I hunt all kinds of animals, but elk is what I love the most. Um, I've been hunting for, uh, hunting elk for about 10 to 12 years and have had some success on and off throughout that time. I am confident that I could find elk and call them in and consider myself to be a decent hunter. However, with that being said, I'm always trying to learn and evolve to become better every year. I've taken a few different online courses, but I feel that what is being talked about or taught is very basic and repetitive. Uh, my question is, what will I gain as a seasoned hunter by taking the Elk Bros training? How does it compare to the other educational training out there? Uh, I'm going to take the course no matter what, but I'd like to hear your perspective, what the thought process was when creating this training series. Okay, so the, since this was with my name on it, I wanna go to I wanna go to KK and I wanna talk on it before Joe says anything about it. Because I think with KK actually going through it, I've been through every single GD course offered online to understand all this stuff. So I think I got some good input. So go ahead, KK. Uh, so, so I guess what I would say is that, um, you know, I, I did the same thing as you. I, I've been through several different courses um, while they all offered um, a different perspective. The one thing that I'll say about uh, the the course that Joe put together was it kind of put it, put it together super nuts, and you know it, it it was able to teach me and take me from a guy that had never been well. It would take a a, a guy that has never been 
out in the field in the mountains and take him from, you know, soup to nuts. And, um, you know, from finding elk, where to look, how to scout, how to um, assess a situation um, from, you know, from the time you find um, sign until the time you actually get on, get on the elk until you actually are in the situation where you're pulling the bow back and letting an arrow go. Um, it, you know, and, and with Joe's, with, with Joe's, uh, coaching, it walked it from, from the finish line backwards. And I like that because, um, I, I've been with several different people, um, whether it be whitetails, hogs, uh, all the way up to elk. If you don't know how to kill an elk or kill a hog or kill a deer, if you can't do that, then everything else is, is a moot point. And, um, you know, what I, what I, what I've seen is you can actually train all the way up to the finish line. And if you can't actually capitalize on it, then you, you failed on everything before that. Um, and, and I don't know if that makes sense, but absolutely certain point you got to become a killer and everybody can take that in a, in a, in a bad connotation, but it is what oh, we we're understand. Out, that's what we're out there to do. We're out finish. there to, out. we're out there to finish. And what I learned is you got to be able to finish first and everything else will come before that. And, you know, just one season of going, going through Joe's course, um, I had the exceptional opportunity to hunt with you guys that first year. And I took all that knowledge that Joe put into a book and I was able to see it and follow you guys and do all that. And then, um, you know, we were fortunate enough, you know, we killed one that last day, Joe. And to see that all come to fruition, man, it just clicked something in my brain. I was like, okay, I can, I can do this. And from then on out, I, I tell you this year, every single moment that I got out of the truck or every single moment that I left camp and started hiking into the woods, I was absolutely confident that it was just, we were, we were 10 to 15 seconds from making it really happen. So, um, that's the one thing that I could say about it is, is that I, I, I believe at all the courses that I learned confidence, not only in the process, but I learned, I was also taught confidence from you guys through it all. And, and it's made me a better hunter. So, um, I, I, I hope that all made sense. I'm sure I rambled on on that, but. <laughs> no, it made sense. Bro. I, was pretty... I heard some things. Ooh. Yeah, but Kai, you wanted to say something. So, I, I mean, KK kind of said it all, but, you know, he, he did ramble on a little bit. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, in, in all seriousness, I, I the, the biggest thing that I saw in it was, like KK said, starting at the finish line and yeah. then working back working from back. it, right? So if you're, you know, midstream in September, Right. And you're at you're you're already thinking about what's next because it's already been played out through that course. Right. So you're taking some of the guessing of what's next out. 
the fact that you're starting at the finish line and running that race backwards, man, is huge. It's huge, huge, huge in the way that, that the base camp is laid out. Um, there's good, there's some really good GD courses out there, right? But being able to look at the potential potentiality of what's next and understand what I need to do to progress to that next step, man, it's, it's hands down. It's freaking phenomenal. And then I think with, with, sorry, Bo, uh, with, with Joe's, not just his experience as a hunter, but with his guide experience, right? He's been able to take hundreds of clients and see the success and failure through that and equate that into base camp as well right and yeah. it's not just his perspective and what works for him all the time but it's that gaining knowledge from those other experiences and and those fatal flaws we'll say that people make out there and then being able to better them and the course through that kind of stuff i think it uh it makes it a home run for those two points for me yeah when he truly says it's 40 years worth of of you know experience it, it it truly is and then you put the crew around him and it's even added on top of that right everybody's contributed to that uh to those those uh pods that are in the base camp it's truly the best course i've ever seen online that's a bold statement but it's ours and i'll stand behind it and i'll take the pepsi challenge with all them other comers <laughs> out there. Uh, at the end of the day if you want to learn how to hunt elk and finish right this is the best course i've ever seen to do there are there more in-depth courses on other things yeah but if you want to learn how to finish and how to have a hundred years worth of experience there that has taught us what not to do this is there you got it it's a no-brainer go through it uh and you know what this guy is, what was his name um troy tony troy, romero. or tony, tony, tony romero tony what romero. we want romero. what we want is since you've My. gone through the other course courses what we want is we want to hear from you what because you're going to go through this anyway we want you know you to reply and review us man good bad or indifferent you know, don't send us no butthole message, but at the end of the day, <laughs> I want to hear from you because you've been through these courses. We want to hear from you and and how well you enjoyed the course and what it did to take you to the next. You just heard from Cody Kirkpatrick. He he went through the course, went through our training session, and then came into camp with us, right? And actually hunted with the crew. And this guy, not only that, He's guiding. He's a licensed guide now in New Mexico and killed it this year. Called in, I don't know how many bulls, but at, mm -hmm. at the end of the day, Cody's, you know, he's one of our elk bros, coaches. You know, he came from the bottom. And then, I mean, you know, we loved his attitude. Damn, we loved everything he stood. Yeah, he came from <laughs> the bottom like with us, right? And, and not knowing a whole, whole lot, a whole hell of a lot, went through the course and then. You know, got on, got on, got in there with us and started mixing it up. And well, now he's so, one of our coaches. So Cody had, and and here's where how I want to uh, apply to this question because Cody had hunted elk. Cody yeah. had been out hunting elk all through Colorado with his dad and different things. He he is he was a seasoned hunter. But see, that's a relative term. I mean, I guide with fellas that've been guiding on ranch for. 
20 years, 25 years. And because they know the ranch, they know where the elk are going to be on that ranch. They're very successful when it comes to, when it comes to understanding the behavior overall, like take them out of that area and put in another area, they could struggle in some of that. Not all of them. Some are incredible hunters, right? But I've seen guys that are seasoned guides that you put them in state land, you put them on public land. And with the other things that are happening, you know, without a controlled environment there. And what I mean by controlled is knowing where everybody's at and not being on top of each other. Um, critters are not pushed, you know, different things like that. You know, you put them there and they struggle with some of that because there's a lot of elements they don't have to deal with because those animals, when they're not boogered and they're on a large parcel there, are going to do the same things day in, day out. Now, some of that hunting pressure on there by the guides can affect it, but they know how it does because they've been on there year after year. So yeah. if they're not here, they're going to be here, right? Yeah. So just Wind's because- doing this, we know where they're going. Just because you're a seasoned hunter, what I saw is that, you know, you've had some on and off success. What I'd like for you to have, Tony, is I'd like for you to be successful every friggin' year, man, no matter what situation that you're put in. Now, does that mean that there can be a year you don't kill? No, it means friggin' elk hunting. We know that. And I think when you talk about stuff that's repetitive, well, number one, it is elk hunting. It, it's not recreated. Um there are things that a lot of us do that are going to be similar because it is elk hunting and they act in a certain way. The key is understanding that, being able to understand the whys of how you do things and when you do things. And that's the biggest problem I see. Now, for me, I think the main difference between my success and a lot of great hunters out there that are able to have encounters is, is in the finishing. And, you know, I take a look, and when we look at successful teams, you look at successful football teams, you look at successful basketball teams, you can take any team and you find out why are they successful? Because they know how to finish. And people will say that. They get in there, they get in a, in a situation, and, man, they know how to finish. Well, that's what my goal of my course is, to get you in a place where you can create encounters so that you, and, and this is what I say in there, not just have encounters, create encounters. Because if you are creating your own encounters, you're increasing your odds. If you're increasing your odds, you're putting yourself in a situation where now you can finish. And if you learn how to be efficient in that finishing, dude, one year, this group, we went four elk in four days with every call-in that happened there. That's efficient right there, yeah. you know? And any time from five out of six. Yeah, uh, man. And, and with a miss or a wound, you know? Absolutely. And you take a look at the different years of experience there. Now you take Cody, man. Cody, with his experience that he had, all he needed was some introduction to some other processes. That's all he did. And he was hungry for it. Yeah. He's been hungry Wanted for it. it. He soaks it in. He yeah. saw how it worked out there because I'm telling you, man, this guy was just, just grabbing it. And the reason I want to to be on this team is because of his passion, his passion, his want to, um, you know, he goes out and it's about the hunt. It's not about the kill. It's about the hunt. He loves the daggum hunt and he loves to explore and to add it to it. You know, it's the same thing Manano has been doing over the year, just adding this stuff into his repertoire. He's an incredible hunter, but you start Definitely. adding the knowledge set, you and know, being able to call that. Yeah. So there, there it is in a okay, nutshell. 
I, you know, I get real excited when I talk about this and I talk about my stuff um, and I talk about what we put into it because look, you're only going to get out of something what you put into it. And if, and I, you know, I coached, I'm Leroy Chavis right there and I coached together for 30 years, man. And we had a lot of success. I mean, we brought home a lot of state trophies and hardware. But every year you saw us at coaching clinics every year, because when we were there listening to that, there were two things that happened. Either we were getting affirmation that what we were doing was working or was, yeah. yeah, or we would pick up one nugget, man. Definitely. And if we could pick up juice. one nugget to improve the success of the people we're working with to help all yeah. of us be successful, then it was a win. No so. Doubt. You know, I tell you, bud, man, I know a lot of people that will put 80 bucks in a vehicle and they'll drive someplace to try to have some success, yeah. you know, uh, and do it over and over and over again. Or mm -hmm. imagine, you know, the gear that you put into, I, I don't know about you, but I've looked in, I tried to buy a camo jacket and I took a look at the price <laughs> and man, that camo jacket was 200 and some to 300 <clears throat> bucks, right? Yeah. You know? And that camo jacket looks nice and it makes me feel good. And, you know, I, I, I look good around the fellas, but it ain't helping what's between these six inches between my ears. Right. And that is what's going to do it for you. So that's what we do on this course. And that's the goal of it. And, you know, everything that I've done when I've coached has been teaching kids first what the success looked like. You know, what does it feel like to clear that bar? What does it feel like to cross that tape? What does it feel like to shoot that last second goal? What does it feel like to get down two minutes in, in that two-minute drill and kick a field goal? And then, man, we, we I could be the best dribbler in the world, but if I can't score, yeah, no matter. Right? Pass. Yep. <laughs> you, you know, Joe, one of the things that always stands out to me, and I'm not saying that we've had that particular question before, right? But one of the things that stands out is I almost feel like, and, and this is probably not what, what Tony's asking or saying, but I always feel like people are looking for the solution. Right. Right. Instead of understanding, okay, this animal does this, whatever, I'm this kind of hunter, right? Is how do you take that that information that's presented, right? Be it, as he stated, basic or repetitive. How do you take that and equate it to your hunting style, to the type of hunter you are? Because it's not that it, it, that piece, that, that educational piece is not the total for your success. That's not going to be the end-all, be-all. And you can go through all these courses. You're still going to have to equate it to your area, how you hunt, is it base camp hunt? Is it a backcountry hunt? However you're doing it, right? You you gotta you gotta take that stuff and just look at it as additions to your repertoire. What works for you? What doesn't work for you? If it ain't working, cancel it, and then you know get the bits and pieces from the others. What, one thing that I say about my course and I tell people is this: There's going to be a lot of people that are going to be in position to kill an animal, and and have done things in a hundred different ways but are they able to finish, right? And yes. so no matter what it took to get you in that position, I want to make sure that you're successful at that end and that you're able to 
uh, pop that tag and punch it and, and put it on that critter. That's my goal. We can tell you what we think you should use for equipment. We can tell you how you should practice and how you should get in shape. We can tell you all that stuff. But there's a ton of information that applies to everybody in different ways down there. But man, when you get within that 15 yards, 20 yards, 30 yards of that animal, when you're right there, all of us are going to get there in so many different variables. Now you got to know what to do in that moment. Now, is that going, is everybody's course going to teach you that? I don't know. I don't know if they do or not, but I tell you, I'm going to tell you what you need to do to get through and to finish in that process. Okay. And then come backwards, how to get yourself in there, how to create those encounters, what that behavior is like, what a rut really is, what those animals are saying, how to talk to them in different ways and how to respond when they do talk to you. There's so many people that don't know how to do that. They hear a bugle and man, it's like score, we're done. You ain't done. At that yeah. Point. Just starting. Just start. Right? That's honestly, that's where everybody goes south yeah. is they hear the bugle and then everything read and, and yeah. talked about and listened to on a podcast and YouTube video that it, that six inches yep. is hollow at that point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Right. I mean, it just right out the ear. Tony, I really, really appreciate the question, man, because yeah. um, we want to hear back from you, Tony. Yeah, it, it's not very often that I that I go and talk about the course. And, you know, it's really the bread and butter for us. And, um, you know, I figure to, for me, you know, I put an ad in this. You'll hear it if you listen to this podcast. I put an ad in there. If you like what you hear, you can learn more right here. And I pretty much, much let that do the talking. And I'm hoping that word of mouth, guys that like it, will tell other people. So um, I really appreciate the question, man, and the opportunity just to to be proud of what we're doing. Definitely. All right. So we got uh, Ken Rice from uh, Phelan, uh, California. He says, when my hunt starts, I investigate potential feed areas in any new areas. It's disappointing when no sign exists in those areas. So what I might think is a good feed source may in fact not be what elk need or want. Maybe low moisture uh, change the feed source or what I thought was a good feed doesn't provide the nutritional needs for elk. How do you determine a good feed source during e-scouting or during the hunt? Does that feed source potentially change with weather from early to late archery season? Um, he says, uh, granted feed sources in Mo in Montana are likely to be different than that of uh, New Mexico. So generalities in feed source assessment is my interest. Need to know if he's hunting mountain country or plains country or, uh, well, you know. But grass is that, oh, sorry, Jojo. Yeah, I, no, go ahead, man. They're, they're, they're grazers. They're going to yeah, eat man. grass. Some grasses to. are better than others. Some have more nutrients. They know that. Uh, Green grass. The, the problem I have with that, Ken, is that that's one tidbit of the information that you need to understand that area, yeah. right? I mean, it's just like us. We need food, water, shelter, right? Elk are no different than us. So if we're only looking for potential feed, we're doing ourselves a disservice. We need mm -hmm. to look at the terrain, no water. Uh, where's the water source, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? So you're, you're on the right track to a point, but you're, only, you're missing 
uh, a lot of the information you should be trying to gather, especially from an e-scouting position. Yeah. It's almost impossible to determine a feed source. And I would be looking at terrain features more than that. Absolutely. Understanding that road yeah, system and where that, that terrain system is going to allow them to get away from, you know, those pressures of season, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah it's almost like uh, the reverse of what you were planning to do. You know, find the water source if, and then find out if there's a bedding food area close, yeah. a bedding right. area close by, and then look for the, the food source. Yep. Yeah. You know, yeah, around northeast facing, around northeast facing. Uh, you know what? Oh, okay, hold on. Let's let's talk about this, okay? Because it's been I've I've listened to some podcasts after season and this week and last week, and man, the the northeast north facing and i've talked to a couple of people man blow that ish out the freaking water because i tell you what and i'm not going to say this the facing slope that i've seen them on so folks don't uh, figure out where i was at but <laughs> didn't did not have any bearing on where those elk if i would have went with that and said that's the only place that they're going to be i would have never been in as many animals and as many bulls as we were this season well, that's so exactly I, what we found on the Moot Ranch. Right, they were I on mean, all just, the northeast facing slopes. I talked that's to a the only couple place you could see them. A but, couple but people, hunted, and they were I've like, "I've areas with cuts in there and yeah, yeah. sides that yeah. thick timber that provided shade that they could uh, get secluded from." Especially, Definitely. yeah. I mean, you know, it it, uh, it can, and then you go to Arizona and these places that are flat, and they only, you know, they don't. Oh, we got cedar. Fire. They're going to bed down under the shade in the cedar, right? Yep. So, you know, it, it just depends on the type I of... I mean, country. if he's hunting that area around the Milk River or, you know, uh, something like that, the Bitterroot, I mean, it's just different. Mm -hmm. You know, those are big coolies that they're dealing with and not big mountainous terrain with aspens and pondos and stuff like that. So better off knowing where he's at and what kind of food source. But guy's 100% right. Look for the look for the terrain that you're that you're hunting and look for the drainages that lead down into feeding areas and bedding areas with water and understand elk will go miles i'm talking miles to go to water man they they'll don't bed down to. in an area three to five miles away but if they don't have to they won't you no, know for for real for real but i know some herds of elk that we've hunted they travel miles to go to water yeah, man. Sure. you know they they just do. That's their MO every day. And they don't take them long. They go three miles in a snap of a finger, you know? Well, that's um, like, like he's saying, man, I look at features. I like crow's feet. Definitely. I like drainages that knuckles, come together. Knuckles I, that are Yeah, and I, I like when some of those finger ridges, you know, have those saddles where one side goes to the other so that they can feed over one side. They can get on the other side and bed down wherever they can find yeah. the thick timber. And then, you know, if when you have those types of saddles from one side to the other, whether it's east to west, whether it's north to south, those critters find that timber on one area, they find the feed on the other, they get security, and generally there's going to be in that drainage, there's going to be a water source down at the bottom of it. So, you know. Burns, willow yeah. trees. What? Those willow trees are letting you know that there's water in the area, man. You know, I, those are the things that you look for in them drainages. <clears throat> where that water source is the springs that are up up high they'll have willows around them you know 
Um, they'll have greener grasses in these crevices. You'll see it on a lot of your e-scoutings. If you're looking, if you find those benches and you find those terrains, man, Definitely. yeah, you especially you find those string benches of any kind that go down to different areas that get lets them bed up on a side to have that security, and they can even munch on some of those areas in there, you know. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not, and I'm not saying they won't bed on a south-facing <clears throat> slope that's got a big bench in there with some trees where it's all bedded and big cedars or big trees. They will, but it's your job to find that. In, in your e-scouting, you can find those big, dark places at times, too, with the bigger timber. You know, I, I have been on the lake many days, and I look across at a bank, and it's real shady over there. And I'm like, hmm, that's a morning time spot because where the sun comes up and the east, and it's a north-facing bank, it's shady there almost half the day. And I'm like, huh, I bet the water temperature's five degrees cooler over there right i idle over there and sure enough it's five degrees cooler right because it's shadier these elk are no different especially in these early seasons they want to stay as cool as they can stay out of the bugs and as cool as they can because it gets warm even in montana you know so you can find the places like chav said that was a, a, a huge nugget you can find bedding areas man and adjacent to feeding and, and water you got a gold mine Oh, and I was going to just emphasize when you're looking at those bedding areas, right? Dark timber doesn't necessarily mean it's a bedding area, right? right? Joe said it benches and even looking at your, your prevailing or your dominant wind feature coming through that terrain, right? That, that for me, when I'm looking for bedding, if I'm e-scouting the, the ease of getting there and my predominant wind is going to determine whether or not I feel like it's going to be a successful key into a bedding area. Yeah, and you know, Joe and I hunted that moose, and that moose bedded in that agriculture field on that prevailing wind. That ain't his first time bedding there, man. That wind whipped by him every day there. Why? Because that's what he knew it was going to be. That was his bed all the time out there. It was mashed down around there like, you know, somebody had a, a party there all night. And that bull set up on the end of that point because of the prevailing wind sweeps the wind right by him from anywhere he's going to catch wind coming from the direction he thought danger was going to come from so they set up like guy said they set up predominantly in those wind situations so they can keep their six covered yeah and and, you know um i just want to tell you when it comes to something like that and you're actually going during the hunt dude wherever you think that that is just hit the roads, man. Hit the road, Jack. Get around. Find out where animals, if they're hitting those, going across those roads. Look at where and you know where you're finding the track. Where you're not finding the track is it old track because they got to go from one place to the other. And I mean, cover country like that, and that'll tell you right away, man. You'll be able to tell are critters actually moving through there. Find those semi saddles, you know, in that in those lower areas where there um, is terrain that you know, has thick trees and kind of saddles out, those critters will move through those saddles, those lower saddles as well. And those are places to find track and where they go on roads and find those closed roads where nobody can go on and check those to see what kind of track you're finding on there. That that will tell you things right away and help you out as far as finding where those animals are moving through to know where they're going from one place to the other. And then you can you know, backwards engineer some of that. So that that's some of the things we would do, but think grass first, especially during that time of year, you know, that's what they're going to be doing. They find they are primarily grazers, man. Okay. 
unless you're in some big oak brush country and then they love that oak brush man. If, if you have if acorns or pinyon yeah. or anything oh yes. yeah absolutely they love it if you're in that lower country with oak brush and pinyon you got acorns buddy they're going to be around it especially in cows well guys you know what time it is it's time for our elk rose shout outs if you're new to our show this is just a shout out to the followers in a few cities with the most listeners topping our charts this week. Joe. Yeah, and just to remind everybody out there, on our next show, we will again be rocking the Elk Bro Spin a Winter Wheel, and someone will win an awesome Wapiti River diaphragm call, as well as another one of our new Burnham Red diaphragms that's produced by our buddy Mark over at Needham by Carlton. It's easy to enter. All you got to do is give us a review on Apple Podcasts or give us a comment on our YouTube channel. And very important, make sure you include your name and where you're from. And then we'll place your name on our Elk Bro Spin a Winner Wheel. And who knows, you just might be a winner. How did I do with that, man? Did that sound Smoked it. So can we enter to get a Burnham Red? (laughs) (laughs) I'll get a Burnham Burnham Red to you, bro. I'm going to just put on there, KK's a, a prick. And then KK do the same to me, and then we'll be entered into the burning winner. Gotta be that is nice. We said we call each other a prick, and it's done deal. (laughs) We just want an entry. (laughs) Pricks in the dictionary, Joe. It's not a bad word. (laughs) Here we go. Okay, uh, this city is nicknamed Swan City due to its sizable population of swans and is home to Publix, the supermarket chain. This city was first named Alapaha after the Alapaha River, then Milltown because of the numerous mills in the area, then finally arrived at its current name, which best describes the area. The region is an outdoorsman's paradise, and this is in Lakeland, uh, Georgia. Lakeland, Georgia at the top of the list. In the house. (laughs) Awesome. Heck yeah. How far Lakeland, uh, Georgia is from... How far is that town from over there in South uh, South Carolina, Joe? I, you know, I I have no clue where Lakeland is. I saw a lot of Publix when I was pl- we were playing ball in in uh, not oh what's the name of that town in South Carolina? Golly, it, uh, unlike you, man, I didn't do the oil field and I, I didn't sleep in. But there were a lot of Publix out that way, right? A lot of Publix chain stores, and I didn't. I've never even heard of them. I've, I've never know. even heard of Publix, so. Yeah, Publix is a, it's a grocery in store. Oklahoma, I've seen yourself. Yeah. You saw one in Oklahoma, too? I, I, that's the only place I could think of seeing gotcha. a Publix, but I've seen it. I'm impressed that Gil doesn't know where Lakeland is at. Yeah, I, I don't know where Lakeland's <laughs> at. It sounds I figured, I figured if it was Lakeland, it had a lake and he had fished in. So yeah. I, I was like, <laughs> that needs to be a goal, right? Is just get cities here that Gil has never been to. Yeah, yeah, yeah there's a bunch of them, of I'm next. sure. Well, with a population of under 3,000, this town is located in Wyoming County in New York State. It was originally established in 1814 as part of the town of Warsaw. It was first named Hebe before its current name. But if you want, if you want incredible pizza, it's Big Lowe's New York-style pizzeria. Ooh. This is not other to Gainesville, New York. Gainesville, New, New York. York. We're, we're still on the East Coast, man. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it's coast. Huh? It's showing out big. Big Lose Pizza. Big Lose, man. Lose. Hey, Big Lose, send us some slices. Yeah, man. <laughs> Freeze it and send it our way. 
Yeah, well, heck yeah, because you know you freeze can they want like pretty thick, dude. Freezing pizza, freezing pizza is sacrilege, like Hawaiian pizza, bro. Come on now, <laughs> freeze no pizza, Hawaiian and you can't pizza. have no pineapples. And... Pineapple, man, that's <laughs> I fight with my wife all the time when she. But that's why you got firecrackers going off behind <laughs> you when you put your thumbs up, bro. Oh no, no, <laughs> <laughs> no! I think I was able to remove it, bro. I'm trying to remove it. Oh, there Lord. it is right there. Pineapple <laughs> pizza, boy. <laughs> uh, Cody. This town is a transportation center located in a major coal mining region and was named after a Civil War battle in New Jersey. During the Civil War, residents torched their homes and moved, up, uh, to, moved out to keep the Union soldiers from keeping their supplies. Though it gets mixed up with a familiar namesake up north, this city is the heart of Mercer County. It is Princeton, West Virginia. West by God, Virginia's in the house. Ooh. There we go. Yeah, Princeton. All right. I'm up, and JoJo tried it again, Gil. Did you see that? I did, man. I did. It's funny. I'm going to give it to him, though. Here's some pretty cool facts. <laughs> One out of every 14 flash memory chips in the world are produced here. The fast, this is the fast growing city named after the prophet in the Book of Mormon. It is known as Silicon Slopes due to the rapid development of the tech industry. Numerous tech companies are headquartered here. Among them are Intel, Adobe Systems, and Ancestry.com. Lehigh, Utah. Utah in the house. <laughs> Our Mormon brothers to the north. Yeah, man. Well, you know, ancestry has come up a ton um, yes. in conversations with buddies of mine and people with you, Gil. Yeah. Um, I was just with um, a real good friend of mine. We're both 60 years old. God, it's so weird to even say that. I just don't, I don't understand that number, man. And, uh, and he's like, he, he was adopted and he found his birth mom and his oh, wow. sister and so brother cool, and everything man. after 60 years, dude. Oh, wow. Yeah. So cool. I mean, cool. and because of ancestry. Yeah. Yep. My daughter found out. So I thought I had an illegitimate child. And I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't me. It was my late father. And, uh, <laughs> you know, God bless him. It was, uh, it was something else. I mean, been. 40 oh, you know 54 man. years of my life and but just two years ago i found out that i had another sibling it was a uh, it was awfully uh enlightening i can tell you that but it was because <laughs> of ancestry.com and my daughter found out that i'd been married twice because of ancestry.com. <laughs> explaining that to them now they found out that before they graduated high school but Kelly and I just never divulged that part of our life before. And she walked in and thought she found some great caper. Mom, did you know dad was married before? <laughs> so, so Manano, are you on Ancestry, bro? No, I'm not, bro. No? No, I don't think so. You I'm... haven't found any relatives out there that are surprised <laughs> no. Like Luis? Luis, like, you guys find out that you really are related or something? <laughs> Luis no, tells man, him no. all the time that his kids he got found more Luis's He apparently is it, it's, uh, related to the Prince of Gales or something like that. Or the <laughs> <Prince of Gales. laughs> he was bragging about that. Yeah, the Spanish prince. 
Yeah, the oh, Spanish okay. prince. Yeah, well, Luis has always said that Luis's blood is more in Manano's kids than Manano's. So yeah, you know, that's what he says all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think he. I think I heard him tell him one time, "It's okay, bro, man. It it it's it's not who, you know, really gave the child the blood. It's about right. who they believe. Right? So, yeah, who they believe. That's right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> all right, it's time now. Dang. You got to give it to us. You got to give it to us there, guy. The main content. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude, this is so good. Uh, <clears throat> Guys, anyone out there, that could, all of us probably would like to turn back time a little bit, right, Joe, and use the time machine this past season. Oh, man. Yeah. You know, if you had one or you could use it for yourself or someone else, you know, what are some of the mistakes, though, fellas, that, you know, or possible miscues or even misconceptions we saw or experienced that, you know, you'd want to warn other hunters about something. And I'm talking about the juice, not, you know, not, not all around about it, but the the actual juice that we feel like that we would want to warn other hunters about. And you can include both, you know, archery and, and rifle season as well. I want to start. <laughs> yeah, go I'm glad ahead, you Chad. did that. Yeah. I was like, we need to get the quietest fellas on yeah. here to start yeah. this out, man. So we'll go Chav, Manano, and then Cody, man. Cody, yeah. We'll, we'll see what so, Okay, sounds good. Um, I have a, a couple of points that uh, may relate uh, to everybody, but but probably more the uh, elder hunter or the very young hunter. And that's having to do with, with uh, drying your bow. And I know uh, Cody could probably relate to this too uh you know sometimes uh there's a tendency for people to try and draw as much weight as possible you know where in fact the the most important factor for success is really the shot placement so uh it it comes in two different ways uh sometimes early in the morning you're not warmed up you've been walking for a while you're cold and all of a sudden you have an encounter and sometimes with coupled with the excitement you're unable to pull your bow back you know and uh does that i know it happen? happened does that happen i know yeah i know it's, I've watched it happen yeah <laughs> and I, I know it happened to one of the cody's hunters so he can kind of relate to that but it happened to me too uh i've been practicing shooting from a sitting position where my legs are basically at a 45 degree angle and they're solidly on the ground and I ended up having to sit in a little tripod seat. So my my knees were above my hip. And I think that threw everything off because I tried drying a couple of times just and, and I could not do it. So what I would suggest for uh, some people is if you can draw 70 pounds, that's, that's awesome. But if you can shoot it at 60 to 65 and use very little effort in pulling back, that's probably better. And uh, we mentioned before we started talking about uh, how uh, white-tailed deer can can hear just about anything. Uh, it's important that you break your bow before you set up. But what I mean by that is, is just pull it, pull it at least one time. Because yeah, break break it over. Because it seems like every bow has like a little creaking sound. Uh, some don't, but it may creak on you, and, and you don't want that either because, you know, the animals we hunt have uh, extremely good ears. So pulling back the bow, you know, that that uh, I experienced that, and uh, that's something that uh, 
until you get to that point, you know, you, you don't know. And I and I recall one time too, I was wearing a, a one piece. If you can visualize those, uh, you one know, piece, coveralls. jumper, yeah, yeah, coveralls. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I was kneeling down, so without me knowing it, it had tightened all my clothing. So when I tried to pull back, I couldn't because there's no give in the clothing I was wearing. <laughs> but I could pull it, you know, so that's something to think about too. That was my that becomes especially important if you're if you're doing a backcountry hunt, right? Is your is your beaten brush, you're in the dirt, your bow's sleeping on the ground, especially if you have a you know, groundless shelter, you're in a hammock. Uh, you, you have to draw my practice is I wake up in the morning once the boots are on I knock an arrow I draw back I let it down and I'm good to go for the day yeah I, I don't I don't put an arrow on mine before I even step into the woods I pull mine back and and then and then let it down because moisture different things like Chav said sometimes wax sometimes dirt it'll get inside that seat and you'll go and and when you first put it, you'll hear that little popping noise in there you know, and it's not anything that's going to hurt the bow. It's just it's it's kind of like a you know seated a little bit in that cam there, and so doing that kind of um, gets that out. And you know, I I do that just about every time I'm going in. We and at I, Elk Bros do not promote drawing your bow without an arrow. Absolutely, just had to throw the disclaimer yeah. in there. Please <laughs> put an arrow. In there. I've seen when you draw your bow pointed at something that you wouldn't mind destroying. I mean, seriously, pointed in a safe direction. I've always been back. without a release with three fingers on it, and I never had to worry about that. You know, you guys with the releases, uh, a lot of crap can happen, I imagine. Ask Manano. He can tell you exactly well, I can, how. I've seen it. I've when seen you let somebody drag pretty. your bow back, yeah, and they didn't put an arrow in it. I mean, <laughs> I and they didn't have no release on it. But you know, they just had their fingers, and it jumped out of their fingers, man. I yeah. bet you you couldn't do that with that new nuclear bow. That <laughs> <laughs> new what? But your new nuclear, nuclear bow, you couldn't yeah, draw pull it with three it. fingers. With fingers? Yeah. Oh, absolutely can, man. I mean, I've did it for forty years, so I'm, you know. It's, yeah, but it's a way shorter brace height. It's a lot harder because it pinches it all, Joe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> My novel says you get it old, Joe. I tell you one thing, you got and and Chab is one hundred percent right. If you guys cannot sit in a stool with your feet off the ground, sit on your tailgate sit off your deck, whatever, with your feet not on the ground, and you cannot draw your bow back, you're overpounded. I'm just telling you, straight I, up. Not even straight that. You, you go to the range and you watch folks do the sky oh my God. and come yeah. down. Exactly. The worst yeah. thing in the world you could do to blow a situation is Move to back. blow it, drawing your freaking bow. bow. If you want to feel like an absolute, complete failure yeah. <laughs> blow it drawing your bow back <laughs> well and, and guys that have never you know I, I i do a lot of guiding whitetail hunting and hog hunting and i've seen guys sitting right next to me and they go to draw their bow back and they can't draw it without poking a hole through the blind mm -hmm. or without standing <laughs> up in some sort of way it, they're like man you know whether they have a impingement or whether they're injured or whether they just have never done that and they're like man this is so different right when, when i'm sitting in a this weekend i was sitting in a tree stand and luis had it happen to him too you shoot over an animal or something i shot dead oh, I, I killed three raccoons because they're little nuisances around my place and 
I shot over the first one. And I mean, I knew what I did. I drew back. I didn't bend it to waist. You know, you got to bend it to waist. You know, I drew back, shot right over the top of him. And I went, man. And what was <laughs> even worse is it hit a rock and it broke my dang shaft on my arrow. <laughs> I was so mad, dude. I now wanted to kill all of them after that, right? That raccoon so, was like giving you the California house. See? See? Yeah, but it, again, again, you can't. So wild turkeys are probably the litmus test on drawing your bow because their eyes are like eagles. If you can get successfully drawn on wild turkeys, in a stand situation, open, not from a ground blind. I'm talking about an open ladder stand or something like that. You're actually, you know, I set my bow on my knee and I draw it straight back. So it is, it's very minimal movement, man. It's hard getting drawn when you got 30 different sets of eyes watching you. Yeah. It's the mm -hmm. same thing in our elk woods. If you got to make a big movement to draw that bow and he's in tight, he's in 15 yards, they pick up movement really well, right? They, you might, they may not see you because you blend in well with your surroundings. You got great 2-0 camo on or whatever that you're wearing. It, you blend in well, but they pick up movement so well, you know, and it's that, it's that big movement that'll blow your whole setup. You know, it's a good way to freeze them and keep them out of the shooting lane. Yeah, or mm -hmm. exactly when you start to draw, they're walking in, and all you got to do is draw and yeah, stop them, and it's it's over with, right? But by the time you draw, he stops because he sees the movement and he's in in front of something. So, um, big that's a huge nugget, Chab. Yeah, being able to draw your bow and yeah. turn your poundage down if you can't get it drawn back. Mm -hmm. Work on getting stronger. That's a that's yeah. a hard one, right? I mean, it's a heavy arrow fast arrow world right and it's been for years so you know everybody wants to max out and and don't they don't really understand the detriment of, well the, of the good thing is, is today's equipment the technology with these bows now a 60 pound bow shooting these days is different than more than enough yeah. bows through animals man grinders tuning in thank you for listening to the blue collar elk hunting podcast our goal is to share our knowledge and help you flatten that learning curve so that you too can have some of the very same incredible experiences that have given all of us here at Elk Bros a lifetime of memories. If you like what you hear or see, you can get all of this information plus so much more from our base camp elk hunting training camp. This course will be like nothing you have ever experienced in concept and structure using success-based coaching techniques that will elevate your confidence and skill sets, allowing you to see, visualize, understand, and relate every coaching point to what lies ahead, the next step, the next thought process, the next success. By tapping my 30 years of teaching and coaching experience, our camps are developed considering multiple learning modes with text, visuals, audio, as well as video. And Base Camp will benefit those new to elk hunting all the way to the 10 to 15 year vet. So if you are looking for that one thing to help you fill that tag this year, invest in the most important piece of equipment there is, you and your elk hunting knowledge. You can find the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Academy and the Base Camp Training Camp at elkbros.com. That's E-L-K-B-R-O-S.com. Keep dreaming of the screaming, believing in achieving, and most of all, keep grinding.
Yeah. My son still shoots 56, 55 to 56. Yeah. And sails through animals, dude. I mean, yeah. blows through critters, kills everything he shoots at. You know, and watching him That's draw true. a bow in a blind is like, it's effortless. I mean, literally, he never even grunts. You know, I'm I'm a big guy, pretty stout fellow. Man, when you grab a hold of that 70-pound bow, man, you better get, you know, get with the program or that thing's going to give you fits getting mm. it back, you know? <laughs> so, and holding it, you know? No, no, what, about, to hold it. what about you, bro? Well, you know, I can, uh, I can bring some to the table about my mistake on this past season. And uh, I'm always trying to uh, do some scouting. I I always do before any upcoming season because I'm really picky where I want to be and, and all that stuff. In that particular case, uh, I mean, this season, I think my scouting was right on, but uh, because of the blowdowns, I wasn't able to get to many, many spots. So what I'm trying to say is it's, Try to put some boots on the ground if you are close, if you are in the area that you will be hunting in, and, and during the during this uh, hunting season, do some uh, uh, hiking or something. That way, you'll be able to to see if you can get to the uh, good spots and stuff. Uh, another mistake was uh, putting a lot of miles. I think I put around 80 miles, 70 something miles this season. I walk a lot and due to the uh, you know, steep of, a, of, a, of the terrain, I <laughs> the last two days I use an e-bike. Man, that that's a game changer, Joe. Game <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> dude. I'm with you. No, yeah, yeah no regrets. And it's a, it's a game changer. Yeah. Well, and, so, and I think it, it depends on the type of the mileage and the reason for the mileage. You know, I think um, there's ways that sometimes if you can get into areas, and that was the thing is you were actually trying to get, because of the shape of the land and where we were hunting it, it right. created a whole different type of deal, right? So Yeah, well, the, yeah, the point is that you have to go all the way up and then fall to the ridge because of the, the other side was a blow down, like impossible to walk. And so you have to go like four miles to get, to start getting to good spots. So, you know, yeah, doing that back and forth, back and forth was. And, you know, and I think that's an important point about your e-scouting, man, is that a lot of people can look at things on um on onyx or anything else like that and the contour lines are not really going to tell you no but that's no. And, I, and by the way yo and by the way I, oh yeah it ain't but about three miles that way yeah right three but, miles but, 10 miles up and down i i no. use i use both i use onyx and yeah. i use the what i did what i use the most is google earth because you can you can turn and yeah, you're you're able to see yeah. better even even the uh, even you you can see the blowdowns yeah. on Google let me, Earth. Let me ask it. Let me ask you this: on Google Earth, did you go in and change the slope the like accentuation on that? Yes. Okay. Yes. Because that's yeah, that's and then you, you're able to see, but even though 
if you see it online when you go when you put boots on the ground bro it's oh it's yeah different everything I mean, gets flattened uh, out man and you don't realize that you have six foot high blowdown you got to go through yes yeah that's yes a, it adds many many miles to your trip mm-hmm. yeah yeah absolutely and uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, when it takes you an hour to get through 400 yards man that's that's tough two hours by the way yeah, <laughs> yeah 400 yards two yeah. hours no that's a that's a real good point man Cody, yeah, man uh, mine's pretty simple. Um, it's really basic uh, in the fact of, you know, you're going to the mountains, you're going hunting. And uh, I think that there's something to be said about uh, uh, being able to be by yourself out camping. And I know Guy, he'll have some good, uh, good content for this, but uh, being able to weather through several days by yourself and uh, being able to stay in the woods where you're able to hunt. Uh, instead of giving up uh, too soon. Oh, because, yeah, so you're basically, there's guys out there that would have been successful and were in good situations, but not able to, that kind of goes back to that whole mental thing that we were talking about before, right? Yeah, it's it's the mental aspect of staying out there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So uh, I, I'd be curious to see what Guy has to say about that, uh, well, you know, staying out there by yourself for several days. Well, before he does, let me ask it to you this way, though. I mean, if we're going back in a time machine and we're trying to, you know, help them with that mistake or miscue or misconceptions, you know, because we saw that as a failure, what are we going to warn, warn them about? What What is going to be the warning? What is going to be the thing that we got to tell them, man? I think that, uh, you know, it's the grind. It's the grind, and the grind gets to everybody in different ways. And it's especially tough. I think it's even more tough when you're by yourself. You don't have somebody next to you saying, all right, let's go, Cody. Get up. Get out of bed. Let's go. We're going. Because we've all experienced that. I I don't want to get out of bed every day, um, especially when it's tough. Um, but, uh, you know, it's even – I think it's uh, exponentially harder if you're by yourself. Yeah. And I, I don't know how to teach somebody. Yeah, that. that can of quit can get opened real quick when you're by yourself. You have to enjoy it, man. I mean, it's got to be something that you're built for, you know? Mm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I, I'm with him. When we're using, when you're able to use all your tools at your disposal and, you know, and you, you got to go, you're in them, uh, and you know you're in them every day. Man, it's a whole different hunt than when you grinding out day after day and things aren't going your way, whether it's from the scenarios or whether we're not finding them, whether it's the terrain kicking your ass or, you know, or the elk are whipping you every time you turn around, winds not being your friend. I mean, all of those things. Um, and we're not getting good sleep. I mean, I've never done the pack, you know, the, the pack out hunt or the back country hunt where it's just me by myself. Um, I enjoy a camp. I enjoy a base camp. I enjoy being around all you guys. Um, and you know, I've hunted rifle muzzle loader and bow. So I've hunted all three phases of the season and I'd much rather be in a camp where I can bounce things off everybody. I feel like it empowers other hunters. I feel like, you know, being able to get affirmation that we're doing the right things or we need to change tactics. I think that's a big plus for us. So 
Um, I'm I'm with Cody. It's, I can't imagine the level of moxie that you got to have to do what God does all the time in being by himself. And I think he's had some people with him, but for the most part, he's by himself a lot. Yeah, I I did one of those in Colorado um, the year before last in an area in there and uh, just hammock camped backpack on there for some days out there and totally enjoyed it, man. I mean, it was, it's different. You just, um, it's just you and you and, and the nature mm -hmm. and the area. And I just uh, really enjoyed the solitude a little bit. And, and I, I love being with people. I, I mean, I'm a very people person, you know, but it was just kind of nice to get that change out there. And, and I've done it before. I think the very first elk hunt that I ever went on was like 10 days by myself um, in an area, which was really funny. If you hadn't talked in, in 10 days, when you get out and you get around people and you, it, it's weird that first day you yeah. get out there. It's, it's a little weird. Man, because you you, know, you definitely got to be fire. okay with talking to yourself. Like yeah. it has to, it, it, you can have you to imagine, be okay. Can you imagine you gotta find you a Wilson. 10 days without saying a word to somebody? Well, oh no, you're, you are talking. That's what I'm saying. You are talking. You have to be okay with it because you are holding conversation. He's got Wilson, dude. And I, there ain't nobody around yeah. you, buddy. Lord. I, didn't, I didn't talk for 10 days, man. And I got out and the first time I heard myself talk. That's a, a therapy. Yeah. That's, that's Damn, Joe didn't even want to talk to himself. Like, I, I enjoy hunting. I don't like myself, dude. I, mean, I enjoy yeah. hunting whitetail and stuff like that by myself. And I enjoy fishing by myself. I did a lot of it when I was fishing for a living. And, and I mean, you spend a lot of time with yourself, but I much rather enjoy having my son in the boat with me to talk with and cajole and poke fun at, and yeah. he poke fun back at me. Um, I don't know. I, that's what I prefer. W would I do it? Yeah, I would, but I would much rather do it with, you know, Guy or Joe or Manano or Luis yeah. or any of those I'd guys. Hunt with Beto. Yeah, Sorry. man. No. Yeah, because they can make fun of me every day, man. And but see, what did to poke fun at? Did we observe? Was it did we observe any of that being a failure point? So that's one thing I, you know, and I know um, there are guys out there that have been in great position in animals, but the whole solo thing did not work for them. And they got lonely, they got homesick and they had to get out of there. So I think the lesson in that is, is don't do a hunt like that. If you've never even gone out and, and hiked and camped by yourself, man. Because... I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that, Joe. I would say yeah. go after. Yeah. Just remember why you're there, right? right? Because right. that because that's what defeats us, right? Is when when everything else takes that purpose from why we're there away. Because it's grueling, man. It's arduous. All your little demons and and all your negative yeah. thoughts and all your negative self talk It'll kill you. It it will it will drive you crazy yeah. if you let it. But I I tell you what. Yeah. It is the best place to leave all your bull crap is sitting up on a glass in point and remembering while you're there through it. Now, part of being prepared for that type of hunt, Amen. this goes to what Cody was, was wondering, being actually prepared for that hunt physically, mentally, Amen. 
That's it's a rough one, man, because you got to That's a great it. point, guy. Because doing, going in a, in a solo hunt, you have to be really uh, uh, conscious about what you can, where you can shoot an animal, because you have to be able to oh, yeah, take that sucker back. So it's it's, uh, it's one of the things you have to be really aware of. But but I I would encourage people to go out even by themselves if if they are prepared. And, yeah, and, and like Joe said, just if you go to point camp, yeah, I was going to say that was yeah. my failure point at the end of season. Yeah, was getting back there on that bull, oh. being two, three hundred yards above him, and then realizing, I can't how in the heck am I going to get this giant out of here yeah. by myself? You know, I mean, yeah. so there's there's a ton of factors, and you have to, you just, you you have to be reasonable about yeah, where right. you're putting yourself. Well, maybe and, Joe's maybe Joe's right. Maybe if you go and do a pseudo hunt that, you know, five or six days back there when you're scouting or something like that, then that you is, know how you kind of feel, right? It's different um, because you don't have the same pressure. I can go, I can go in the backcountry for ten days and and go on a hike, right? Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. and I don't have the pressure of sure. the hunt. I but don't have that you success. Can do it, though. I mean, yeah. you know it's that different. You no, it's the different for it. And yeah. Yes. Yeah. If you, if you talk you in, in respect to physical ability and yeah. gear check. Yes. Yeah. Now the what the weather in September in the high country starts to turn a little bit. Right. So maybe it's not tested fully, but the pressure of the hunt, the pressure of the notch tag wanting to be, you know, air quotes successful. So, um, and that killer out there, it adds a different element that increases the likelihood of a guy breaking sooner. So I'm going to switch gears here a little bit because we're often so archery oriented and, you know, uh, running hunts all the way from September and gosh, we'll be going till January. I get to see a lot of things and a lot of people that come in and out and I want to do some of this. I'm going to throw some of this in as well as for the rifle, because there's a lot of people doing that right now. So and, and I really want to talk about, like, if I could do the time machine back or if I could talk about these possible miscues and misconceptions, I see so many in different people. Um, and not only those that, you know, those that I experience or people around me experience, but I can tell you this. And I think it, not only does it apply to the rifle, but it applies. And, and I'm going to hit this first because this is a little bit of a sermon. And then I'm going to go to the elk hunting part of it and where I see some of this as well, but I see this in archery and I see it in, in, in rifle shooters, uh, rifle hunters as well, is that there's just not enough time spent behind the equipment, you know, be that the gun, be that clothing that they're going to be using on the hunt, the, the things, their shooting sticks that they're using or whatever position they're going to do. That's not on a, on a sled, you know, I, I bet you, and, and honestly, I can of all my years of doing this. Now I've come across some incredible shots, people that are really good with their equipment, but I would, I would be, you know, gosh, I don't even know if I want to say this, but I would say that about three out of 10 uh, hunters are really great shots that know their equipment that are solid with it that when they say i'm dialed in they are dialed in man wow yeah. only the 30 percent i think yes. it's less than that i, I think wow. it's less than, i'm with I you i think guy. it's less i think it's less than that 
Yeah. Um, look at look at the ten percent success rate. Yeah. Right. And if you equate that ten percent, you're talking right, archery those, right there, right? I'm talking. Okay, go to rifle. rifle then rifle, rifle ain't too much higher. It ain't much that ain't. Rifle ain't, ain't that much higher. It should be around twenty four percent, right around there, twenty five percent. That ain't a lot. No, no, Joe. Uh, I don't know if you if I understood uh, uh, incorrectly, but I'm talking about thirty percent of the guy. Do, do they come unprepared? Yeah. So, so oh, it's like this. Here's the, here's the deal with it, Manano, is most of these people shoot their weapons and they go, it's it's on, it's sighted in. So I'm going, I'm good to go. And then you get them on a range of 100 yards and they're they two, three, four inches fiddle. off to one uh, So, okay, yeah, right. Eight so inches off. Of them Ten inches off. off. And I'm telling you, man, that... Uh, People need to spend more time knowing their weapon, being as accurate as possible. You know, I and you know, I I don't want to say that one weapon's better than the other. I think it doesn't have anything to do with it. I just think it's about people spending the time behind. And again, not just the weapon, because you can be good with the weapon and you can be on, but had you not worked on the shooting sticks or the position that you're going to shoot from where you're uncomfortable, that adds an element of failure to that, man. So uh and environmentals i mean if absolutely. you're going from yep. if you're going from flat land at to, at you know 2000 feet to 10, and you're going up to 10,000 feet and so it's freaking 30 degrees different. you got to you got to understand this goes to what okay. joe's saying you got to understand that weapon you got to understand what those very those the environmentals are going to do to it yeah. shooting position yep. yep when you come to camp yeah. shoot it your weapon our boat yeah. Go shoot it, man. Same thing with our bows. I mean, the first thing we do yeah. in yeah, camp is make sure we shoot. That's one thing, you know, on our well, ranches, we make sure we shoot bro, for that reason. Huge. You know? mm-hmm. And stop, dot, guys. I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Stop zeroing at 200 yards. Yes, yeah, zero. Your rifle, be it uh, mill or your standard MOA, right? Zero at a hundred. Your exactly. come ups are so much easier on yes. a turret if you're zeroed at a hundred yards. Everything works off of MOA and and or inches. And I'm telling you, they all work off the hundred yard dot. Right? You know, you can leave it a half inch to an inch high, but I want it dead on at a hundred yards, man. If I have a gun zeroed. You know, inch and a half, two inches at at a hundred. I know that guy doesn't have to worry. He's dead on at two hundred, and he and he can be there without worrying about doing any changes or anything to, to the scope. Sure. I, I like as little as possible, as simple as possible. So that's just a that's just me. That's yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a well, rifle hunter from the reason I, I dial my gun in at a hundred yards, and I use MOAs after that to adjust my turret, or I use my mill dots in my scope, and it works. A million. I mean, I shoot milk jugs at eight hundred yards. I mean, and and honestly, Joe, I said it. I said it for the reason of know your weapon because that's what you yeah. said, right? Get behind it, know your weapon. Now, if a guy is shooting and he's zero at a two hundred yards, and he go out there and he can do his math and he knows his dials up, dial ups, or he has his dope card yeah. for that two hundred yard zero, then by all means. But guys, got to do better. And some of that is shooting position too, right? I mean, a lot of guys go to the range and they're shooting. I mean, I see it. I, I took yeah, the wife to get her rifle zeroed. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they're shooting off the bench, not necessarily a sled, 
where they're shooting off the bench. They'll shoot five rounds at 100 yards, one or two at 200, and then walk away. Okay, well, what if I'm uphill, downhill angles? What if I got to sit down? I got to, you know, rest on the pack. Yeah. Yeah. You know, or you get, you know, you get out there and you don't, you don't have the security, we'll say, or stability rather of a bench. And you're out there with the monopod with a little V on top of it. Well, how's that going to? How's that going to behave when that gun is wobbling everywhere? Your respirations are up and you ain't steady on that animal. And then you send in a pop shot downfield. So I'm going to take it to elk hunting now. What I'm seeing, especially now with rifle hunters and, and a lot of things, is that especially from late October on, a lot of people are expecting to find, they think they're going to find big bulls with large groups of cows. And I, I had talked about this earlier in the show today. And, you know, that's very rare. Can it happen? Yes, it can happen. Absolutely. But it's very rare. Most of the time, those big bulls are now, especially we're in November right now we're getting ready to hit late november getting in december those big guys are off they're starting to bachelor up some now so you know if you're out there and you're trying to just find a big bull and you're just looking for for a lot of cows to be able to do that you're going to find a lot of cows and you're going to find maybe a small bull with them um depending on the situation you know some spikes and stuff like that the bulls are now moving away from that so the other thing that that i'm finding especially in these late season is that a lot of hunters are prioritizing first light over midday in other words they feel like if if they don't find elk at first light and in the morning when they're out there that they're done for the day and really man the best time man the leaves off these trees and once these elk get bedded down the glassing game of getting there just really looking in these areas man on these southern slopes the places they're trying to get warm if it's warm you're going to look in other areas that you're going to try to find them you know um in some of these aspen areas and some of these different hillsides in fact sometimes they'll bed in the areas that they feel secure just on the side man so i think that mid part of the day with glass you're missing out on a huge opportunity to locate because you find that bedded those bedded bulls out there now you have an opportunity to move in get in position and make a great shot on that and have all day to do it they're not moving man so uh, i think i think the midday um, is a huge time uh, for you to be able to find that. I I think a lot of these guys are walking a lot. They're, this is what I've seen. I've seen that a lot of rifle hunters are trying to hunt like archery hunters. And a lot of archery hunters are trying to hunt, hunt like rifle, rifle hunters. Hunter. Yeah. Right? In other words, those rifle hunters are trying to get out there and get into that thick stuff and not use their glasses. And then you've got archery hunters that are trying to hunt the more open areas where it's more difficult to get an animal into you, man. It's great for seeing them, but it's not for killing them. So, um, and the other thing is like, they'll hear a bugle and they'll hear it in this late rifle season. And they think that that bugle means that there's a cow in heat and it doesn't, you know what I mean? They're just being elk. They're just sounding off. They're just sounding off. And you know, the more open, the better for the rifle hunters. The more thick, the better for the bow hunters. Right. So that's something that uh, that you want to remember. And that the other thing I think is, you know, when they're glassing, here's the other part of it is that 
they don't really know where to glass, you know, and then a lot of times when they are glassing, it's looking, they're done. It's not like they do it and understand that things can change from this minute to the next when you're glassing an area. I'm 50, 50 feet. Yes. Yeah, you absolutely. start glassing here and you're not seeing something, yeah. spend a little more time, move 50 to 100 feet, glass the same area, you're going to turn something up, right? I mean, it's that. The perspective change to find an animal through glass is huge, huge, huge. So those are a few of mine right now and talking about what I've been seeing with the rifle hunters. But, you know, the other thing I see with them is that they get out there and because they're not seeing a lot of bulls, they don't think that there's elk in the area or they're not seeing a lot of elk. Well, they got to understand it's like feast or famine right now. Yeah. Because, you know, when we're archery hunting, those bulls have split off and you got a lot of different groups, small groups of cows, bulls are all over the place. But now what's happened is these cows have come together and they're in big groups now. The bulls are mm -hmm. coming together and either they're a, a, a single bull that's isolated and he doesn't want to be found. He's in a hole. Mm -hmm. So if you go look in the worst place that you think an elk that you don't want to go, that's probably where that elk is at, right? Yeah. And mm -hmm. then the other them that, that are, you know, bachelored up, you're going to find five, six or seven bulls together instead yep. of them being all over the place right so yeah, from various sizes from rags to fives to yep. you name it you know and they're all together maybe even a couple spikes but i mean they're all kind of hanging out back together again yeah those spikes will stay with the herd they'll stay with mama and yep. aunt but yeah, yeah you're right those other bulls will start bacheloring up like that yep. so so uh, i you've heard me a little bit let me hear guy and 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 gill on some of your Good, gill. for me if i wanted to take anything away from our hunt, whether it was in Canada or <clears throat> or in in where we hunted in New Mexico this year, Joe, it was the ability to adapt to all the situations that we had coming around, right? This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com 
you know, when we got to Canada, we had no clue it was going to be really hot and tons of smoke and wolves were going to be in the, in our midst a bunch, right? We knew that wolves were, were there, but we just didn't know how many were going to be around us. It was being able to adapt to the situation, right? Which we're in a new place where we're hunting agriculture elk. We're not hunting mountain country elk, right? Although there's some big old hills there. Um, we're not looking up at big snow-capped mountains in front of us uh, where we're in the Rocky Mountains or the Sangre de Cristos or wherever. I mean, it was being able to adapt. Um, and I think people get really spun out when it when it's not happening the way they think it should happen, right? I think we got to lay in some of that and use the knowledge that we have. You guys as hunters, use the knowledge that you have, that you've been uh, with the experience that you have that level. I, I think that that's what you need to tap into and just go hunting, man. You know, whether it's a different style or, you know, not, I mean, we never night bugled. I never have. I've never night bugled really at midnight, one o'clock. Cause we never hunted past. I mean, we we're hunting 10 o'clock at night, you know I mean? It's still daylight. I mean, it was the wildest thing we'd ever seen, but I think our, and look, we could have, we should have been three, three, four bulls, you know, in that whole thing. And as I've talked to everybody across the States, it was tough on a lot of people. I mean, so, so well, why I, was it tough? When you say it was tough, what I people were totally lost. Why people were totally lost? Why? Because the elk were not responding to the way they were hunting them. Okay, so if we're calling and we're doing those things, and bulls are shut up and they're not responding in the early season, a lot of people are lost. Right? They don't know where to go and find them. Right? By just using the terrain and those types of things. We rely on calling and when they're shut up, then it's more important for us to go put boots on the ground and keep rolling, right? We know that if we keep moving, eventually we're going to bump into something, right? I, I heard Waddell talking about it, this, this, you know, Waddy and his crew, they had a really tough hunt, man, in Montana and, and in, uh, and wherever they were, I don't think they killed, I think Munt killed one bull and the rest of them, over right i mean so a lot of them really struggled and that doesn't happen to that crew they're usually in places that are hell for stout with animals you know what i mean and we are too we're usually in places that got tons of animals and when we first started it were there were right but as dictate as elk would dictate they are so adaptive to the pressures of hunting scent everything else they, they change. And if you don't have the ability to change with them or understand, you have to use the tools available to you to change with them, then you're not going to be as successful. So what's the right? answer to hunting silent elk then? I mean, if we're going to, if, if we're covering here, ground, if, if, if we're going to turn it back and we were to tell somebody that all they were doing was, and, and I, and I see this all the time, they walk and bugle, walk and bugle, walk and bugle. Right. Yeah. Well, I don't know why we're walking in bugle. Right. At the end of the day, early season elk, we need to be walking and cow calling, maybe. Right. Calf calling. I mean, we got to sound like maybe even put your own little scenario together where you're going to call these silent bulls into you. They're not going to talk, but they're going to come in. Right. And a lot of times we're not patient enough. You know, I mean, 
look, guy will tell you he called a giant bull into him and the bull hadn't did, did anything, but while they were up there, the bull didn't make anything other than a sound, you know, at all. And then the bull's on top of them, you know? So these are things that we have to, as, as hunters, even with the people that we're guiding or ourselves, we have to learn how to adapt. And I think a lot of us get hung in that rut of not thinking pat out of the box and going and doing something a little different. Maybe it's getting further. Maybe it's hunting closer. I mean, it's all of those things that you've got to, okay, this ain't working, right? We've been three days doing it this way or four days doing it this way. You saw that in Canada, right? We did it four or five days the way the Canadians wanted to do it, right? And no knock on them. They hunt the way they hunt because of the way that everything is. And no knock on them. They hunt the right way. Yeah, but but you got grizzly bears, wolves, you know, very low dense, not not very dense populations of elk. We're hunting little pockets, big country with little pockets to the elk. So we felt like with elk bros, man, we just got to go cover more ground. At the end of the day, we could, but look at the ground we ended up covering and how many opportunities we had, right? When maybe it was better to do the night bugling more and figure out where elk were and then go in there and try to attack them silently. And every so many people that I talk to, man, the first thing that I hear from everybody is that it was so hard because the elk were silent, right? Mm-hmm. And and you're shaking your head no? Did did you not hear that? No, no, no. I'm, I I was I shaking think, my head at that comment. I think you yeah. mentioned it like two or three mm-hmm. podcasts ago, Joe, that you like the majority of the hunters mentioned the, the L were quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, it drives me crazy. That's yeah, and you know, in October when I was guiding, the elk weren't quiet. <laughs> I mean, they sounded oh, off every morning. They sounded off every night, just like regular and, and that's another misconception that guys are like, okay, mid-October, you probably don't need to be calling. Well, bull crap. I'm going to tell you straight up. Um, if there wasn't a fence involved, Big O would be standing over the biggest elk I ever seen in my life. But there was a fence there. And I could, well, yeah. I got the cows to me. I got them exactly where I needed them. But there was only one way to do that was to, was to call. right? And if you can't call, you ain't even getting an opportunity at no. killing a bull. And and that's the that's one of the things. Like if I could go back and and talk about miscues and misconceptions, the misconceptions are for a lot of people is that they're just going to get elk by bugling, bugling, bugling. Right? <laughs> they got to have other tools in the toolbox. We we talk about that all the time. But what and we talk about scenarios and people hear we hear us talk about that. But one thing that I realize in talking to a lot of people and talking to our own dudes out there is that they just don't understand or have no understanding of a scenario, right? They they don't really know what a scenario is. They kind of do, but they don't know how to put together the pieces on it. They don't know. And here's the big part. Even if I knew like, okay, I need to do some cow calls and then I'm going to add some raking. And then, you know, if they got a recipe for it, right? Mm-hmm. If we could give them a recipe, they still don't know when to do it. They don't know where to do it. They don't know why to do it, right? Mm -hmm. Those are the parts that are missing for them because, you know, uh, we're walking with dudes, man, and we're walking with them, right? And we're going through and we're kind of waiting like, 
well, man, you know, what do you think? You know, are you going to do a cow call or what do you want to do here? Is, yeah. is there, you know, we hear, smell, see something, or they just want to stop and do a scenario. It's like, okay, we're on the edge of a park elk like a park. So we're going to sit here and we're going to do a scenario. Well, yeah, yeah. you know, we might laugh about that, but that's thought process I know. I know. for a lot I of know. people out there. Yeah. So I think a big part of that is, is that, you know, uh, we need to really do a better job of teaching people about scenarios. I think, yeah. I think that's huge. Um, not only, you know, where, when, and why, but about the setup. And, and here was a big one. I get so many people that are doing the scenarios and they're having success, but uh, you know, a lot of times they're like, man, and this bull came in and I had, I did not think it was going to happen. So, so they're they're not really doing it, believing in it. Yeah. Or they're or a lot of them even are like, well, I started doing a scenario, and there was nothing going on. I didn't hear anything, and that's the main thing is this auditory thing, right? right. I didn't hear anything, so I got up to leave, and there was a bull looking at me, right? Yeah, they weren't scanning their surroundings. Well, and they weren't committed to it, man. They sure. weren't. They weren't committed to the time of the scenario that it takes. So yeah, how, so in your early season calling, when you do a scenario, you set up because there's a reason to do that, right? Not just because you're on the edge of a park or something. Honestly, like that. edge of a park, I avoid at all. Yeah, man, calls. no doubt. Oh yeah, that's a big stopping <laughs> right? I mean, you're just gonna get for me. It's like, right? look, if there's if there's a park there, yeah. I'm a hundred yards in the in, ins, inside yeah. from that park. I don't even want to get to the edge. Yeah. And, right? and, and yeah, and where I, do everybody? glass to be able to see elk man they want <laughs> go to the yeah. park yeah well it's it's funny so you know I, I spent some time with with scott rich and richie and uh i came back after a couple days and and scott goes man we were in you know i think he had a dozen animals or so in this real nice park right i mean it, you couldn't ask for a a more perfect storm, right? A saddle coming in, you got north facing bedding, real thick timber, good feed, water, the whole nine. And uh, he's showing me the video. They're at the literal edge of the park and and they're, the elk are on the other side exposed. The elk turned, looked and booked Boom. up the hill, never to be seen again, yeah. right? You're at the edge of the park. I was like, why did you do that? Yeah, <laughs> you know, exactly. dropping that timber a little bit. Um, what they expect yeah, that's, to see. No, I, I avoid them at all costs, man. Yeah. And, and so what I'm, what I'm asking you is in your setup, you know, what is the most, what's the most crucial, how long are you going to have that scenario play out? Typically when you set up in, inside that hundred yard it depends, range, it, it depends on the cues. It depends on whether or not it's a cold calling scenario, whether or not I've heard a bugle, yes. whether or not I got cows around, right? There, there's, there's all these factors that go into it, right? Yeah, no, so under I, my, my, my cue to you is no cow. You haven't heard anything. You haven't seen anything, but you've got some really good sign there. You're on a main trail. that's just chalk block full of track and fresh droppings and stuff like that. Bone up trees in the area. Um, so you got an inkling that we could be leading to a bedding area, right? So 
you haven't heard anything, but how, if you put a scenario on of your raking and, you know, making it sound like a bull's there with a hot cow, how long are you going to wait before you get up and walk out of if, that scene? If I'm cold calling, I'll yes. do about 35 to 45 minutes. There you go. And, and 35 to 45 minutes on my watch. Watch, yeah. Right. And then generally I'll move out of that area as slow as I can possibly stand to move out of that area. Right. Cause it's their time, not my time. And I've learned that the hard way where I would do a scenario and feel like I was there an hour and it was 15 freaking minutes and I'm ready to move. Yeah. And then yeah. guess what? Yeah. I get 50, 60 yards away. And what do yeah. I hear? <laughs> right where I was at. And it's like, Oh my God, man, I just moved away. And that bull walked right to where I was standing. Yeah. yeah. So I, I I want everybody to think on this because we're gonna we're gonna call this right here and I I still got a whole list of things that I didn't even get to mine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, before we go, I, I'm gonna hear. Let's get one of yours out on 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 the flat here. One, one. Yeah, one so, of them. So if if you were to say one of them was the juice to end with, which one would it be? Gentlemen and ladies, stop hesitating to use the tools that you have. I don't care how small you think your repertoire is. If you do not use the tools in your toolbox, you will stumble across an animal or stumble across a notch tag at some point. You got to use the tools in your toolbox, irregardless of how much confidence you lack. Because that's the that. only way. Simplify that. Give an example. What okay, are they? If 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 you have the best bugle in the world and you don't like your your estrus buzz or your muse, use them anyway. Because the worst case scenario is nothing comes in. But if you ain't using the tools, you're hiking and hoping, as JoJo says, right? And we're not out there to hike and hope. We're out there to create opportunity. So you got to use whatever tool is in that. If if I'm going and I'm taking a, a nut off and I ain't got the right side, my 10 millimeter, because that's the, always the one that's missing out of the, out of the set. <laughs> the 10 millimeter ain't in there. What am I going to go do? I'm going to go grab a pair of needle nose. I'm going to go vice grab grips. a pair of pliers. I'm going to go yeah. grab vice grips. If you're my wife and you don't know where the hammer is in my toolbox, she's going to go get the heaviest thing she could find and, and beat that nail into the wall so she could hang that picture of our granddaughter, right? Yeah. That is what it is. Use the tool you have. If you don't do that, you're hiking and hoping. So I'll leave it at that one, JoJo, since I only get one. Yeah, I, think, that one off I think that's a great one too, man, because... And the tools aren't going to get better. I mean, you ask no. Cody, you ask Manano. You know, Manano's calling this year, right? You know, uh, how much better just because you're doing it, Manano? How much better was oh, it? Man, I was able to get a response. Yeah, yeah, and and, it, it, and that's it was a feather a in the cap for me because I I always hunt with either Beto, Joe, or Luis. So I was, you know, always attached to one of them. So, uh, he, he, he even was coaching for us this fall as well. I mean, I, I got to give it to him. The calling got so good. He was able to take Kevin and, and uh, Josh out several days and be there to call for them and hunt with them as one of our yeah, uh, winners of our Yeah. yeah. I, 
couldn't be a, couldn't be prouder of any of our guys than what Manano's put together with, but it, it took a lot of practice. It took a lot of him kind of coming out of his shell of not yeah. being embarrassed around the, tools, the guys, you know, and yeah, yeah. and he's paid his dues and uh, he's a better, I mean, the guy's scary good as a hunter. I've said this a million times, one of the best finishers around, but now the guy has got an absolute ace in the hole, an assassin card to deal all the time because he speaks the language now, man. And I think if you were to ask any of our guys that were in elk camp with us this year, the most important thing that they felt like they lacked was the ability to call elk. Absolutely. And And you think look at the experiences you were having, Cody, you know, um, what was that like, man, with the tool set you had? Man, it, it was it was crazy. You got crazy. to go home. Man. I mean, yeah. I mean, you put you put a big big seven by at, at uh, sixteen yards in front of a guy. I mean, just uh, unbelievable. I mean, you, you take a take where I came from a year ago to where I was at now. Um, wow unbelievable lights out and uh that again, i will always say i i feel like i have an opportunity to kill something every single step that i take out of camp so uh, yeah and then that's that that's a credit to one you other there. one other real quick thing man and i saw this on several of our guys man and this is the last one i'll say is when you get a response go get the wind right and go i look at you know it's first day and man i pipe off a location bugle and boom i mean we get a response 200 yards away i'm like okay (laughs) you know i know what i want to (laughs) do you know i'm waiting i'm man guys go cut the distance man put eyes on that rascal and and then get in there tight with him and go play ball. But if you do not engage, and I'm not talking about engage by talking back to him. I'm talking about engaging in the quest to go and get an eyes on that rascal, man. Go put your boots together and and get and understand the wind direction, man. It's so important about when we're traveling that travel. Don't let the wind get up your tail and go right to him. You know, we did such a good job of that in Canada this year, man, with the guys that were with us. And um, it was so good using the wind and, and getting in and having some opportunities, some blown, some blown opportunities, but Hey, we put ourselves in those positions because we knew what to go and do, man. So we, what I, and we moved I, on. I, I, I want what we just ended with right there uh, on the response part. Because when we say something like that, it's kind of like the scenario thing. It's yeah. like, okay, I got to respond. Okay, so how am I going to respond? How far do I go? When do I not go? When do I sit here? You know, so we're going to give a couple of solutions for that and really talk about that just a little bit more. So I want you to hold on to that because we're going to actually start with that um, where we finished. And and I know I have a list. Um, I know yeah. I has a list. So all of us come back with something again that, again, when we take a look at the things that we saw in people, actual hunters on the ground this year that had issues with things that, and that response is a great one. You know, that's a fantastic one. I had one with my guy where 
He didn't want to move to get in position for a shot. So all of this stuff is is actual things that people are going through that we want to pull up. You know, you know, Manano, you have more than you think with that because your dad was there and you get yeah. to see those experiences of those types of things. You know, Chav sees it all the time and hears it from everybody that comes back in. And Cody, you got to live it for some days out there with people that were struggling with some things that have actually been doing this for a while. You were with yeah. guys that have it, you know. So again, there's those people that are, you know, and they have a skill set too. Yeah, that are experienced yeah, sure. with a skill set. So there were some things that you did that kind of blew their mind. And and so why aren't why is that a surprise? Why are people not, you know, using some of that stuff? So there we are, man. We're gonna we're gonna come back and and do another part of this, okay? Always amazing, Joe. Uh, guys, if you like what we're doing, please subscribe, rate, and review us. you got to go to Apple Podcasts or iTunes uh, to review us. And be sure to include your name and where you're from to get in our drawing for the Spin a Winner Wheel. And you can check out more of our content at elkbros.com. Just a reminder, if any of our listeners would like their questions answered on the show, just send your question at info at elkbros.com. Again, want to tell you about we're going to be in Denver, Colorado. January, is it the 11th through the 14th? 11th through the 14th. 11th through yep, the 14th. At the, at the Denver Convention Center. The Denver Convention Center. So can't wait to see you guys there. Uh, if people want to know if we're going to be taking – uh, you know, bids on coming out hunting with the elk bros this year. Absolutely. So y'all, uh, y'all come and, and bug Joe and let him know that you want to get on the list to come hunting with us, uh, this year. I mean, I know guys are already hitting me about it. Um, you know, I've gotten probably 10 emails already from guys wanting to know what we're going to do. So Joe will have a better handle on that. We'll have a lot more answers at the show and I can't wait to meet and greet a bunch of people and shake hands, blow a few new calls and it'll, uh, it'll be fantastic. Like we say down here at the Lone Star State, husbands kiss your wives, wives kiss your husbands, hug your babies, keep your broadhead sharp and your powder and dry. dry. And we'll see you next week right here on Blue Collar Elk. Mm -hmm. Peace. 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 Bro. See, see you later. <laughs> <laughs> After uh, hours with uh, God Duplanchet. And for all you Tony Wintrip fans, here's some more yes. of his new music. Last week we were talking about Don't Quit, and the song was Don't Quit on Me. Let's see what we're going to do here today. Here's Tony Wintrip. To close the show out, See you, everybody. It's been one of those years. I want to put it all behind. I got a clip full of Remington core locks, and it's about closing time. I'm mounted up four by 12 on the top. I'm about to make that big bug drop. One more step, he's across the finish line. Yeah, drop the hammer time. I got some history with this mystery. Dude, it's been around for a while. Been giving me fits the last three years. I'd love to see him in a pile. When his ears are up, he's out of luck. Gonna be in the hands of mine. When it's dropped the hammer time. Been many nights at the table, y'all and I was eating crow. When I came home after darkness, and everything was cold And all those times I told her 
She said, boy, you're never gonna be right when it's dropped the hammer time. When I saw the latest forecast and the temps were getting cold, I figured that old boy was hungry and his sack was about to fold. All those times that he sniffed the wind, his nose was better than mine. And now it's dropped the hammer time. There's been many nights at the table, y'all, and I was eating crow. That I came home after darkness and everything was cold. And all those times I told her, she said, boy, you're never gonna be alright until it's dropped the hammer time. up the phone it was dialed up a little bit early said baby i'm coming home she said there's daylight left and dinner's not ready i said everything's just fine it was drop the hammer time there's been many nights at the table y'all and i was eating crow that i came home after darkness and everything was cold and all those times i told her she said boy you're never gonna be right but it was dropped the hammer time it was dropped the hammer time search for the one they call king but who will take his throne tune in to waypoint tv's battle for silver saturday may 18th from 12 to 6 p.m eastern presented by abyss battery waypoint tv